This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Hello, I am Zachary Oliver. Welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast. I am the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming blog. And today we're going to do an interview, or part of my interview series, as I call it, whatever that is. I just kind of name everything different. It doesn't really matter. Uh, today we have two developers from Pixelscopic Studios. <laughs> Am I getting that wrong? Uh, well, it's Pixelscopic, but a lot That's of people do that. So, yeah, I like microscopic. It's cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pixelscopic. Or scopic. In fairness, there are people who say microscopic as well. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. And today we have two people from that lovely development studio in the process of making their new game, Delver's Drop. Uh, with me today are Ryan Burrell and Ryan Baker, both of which are named Ryan. So thank you for making this much more complicated by virtue of your birth names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we blame our parents. <laughs> Same initials too, so yeah, you just have to go with the last name. So I'm Baker. Okay, you're Baker and you're... Burrell. Okay. Hopefully uh, the listeners will be able to tell the difference. <laughs> As we go on. All right. So tell me a bit about yourselves. Uh, either one of you want to take the baton? Uh, sure. I mean, what do you want to know? Uh, anything about your... Well, you said long, long walks on the beach. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. colors blue. Yeah, that sort of thing. Sure. Sure. I am the director of technical design here, which basically means I do a whole lot of different stuff that there's not a convenient label for. I do a lot of our web development and infrastructure stuff. I do most of our scripting for level design, layout, that kind of thing. UI, some of the general game mechanic design stuff as well. So that's me, in short. So uh, yeah, I'm Ryan Baker, and I'm the vision director, so kind of creative director, whatever. I, on Delver Shop specifically, I do the character illustration, enemies, environments, that sort of thing. So a lot of painting and kind of broader art direction things, you might say. Okay, so I saw this at PAX East. I'm not sure whether I talked to either of you, but I did talk to someone. <laughs> and it's possible that he funny. was this large hulking monstrosity of a man that might have been Kobe, our developer. I think it was Kobe, actually. Okay. So yeah. you, you can also go by hair color and, and style of facial hair for the most part. Beard, so, not beard? Yeah, like beard versus goatee versus <laughs> like red hair. What, anyway, <laughs> I'm sure this is really entertaining to the listeners. So. <laughs> yeah, and you're both on one Skype call, so I can't tell the difference. I felt like I played the game for about five minutes and didn't really get a great sense of the game as a whole. I know it's you. I you had a demo of the endless drop mode, right? And, yeah. Uh, what was at PAX was what will actually be releasing as a kind of side quick play game mode that comes with the full game. So that's what we were showing there. So I, I mean, I think as far as takeaways, it will be kind of indicative of the general level of difficulty, the way kind of that particular player class that we had controls, but we're going to have eight classes, and then the, the actual progression through the full game itself will be more structured. I mean, it's randomized as far as the level layouts and that sort of thing, and there will be uh, narrative elements with it as well. There's more themes for the zones and all that, so you would have just right. seen like one kind of generic looking dungeon, and we're going to have some, uh, some much more interesting zones and enemies and all that. 
and the game might be slightly easier on that mode, I would guess. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably. We'll, we'll see. It, it will be less condensed, I guess. <laughs> the PAX build was quite challenging yeah. <laughs> from the short yeah. time I had with it. It was yeah, basically there, like there I was dead. There were no rooms that gave you space to breathe except for the one kind of random treasure room. So there, in, in the kind of regular game mode, there will be rooms that are just like only puzzle-based with no, you know, there, there won't be as many fireballs flying everywhere in every single room, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, Endless Drops was kind of designed and, and will still be like somewhat challenging. But uh, we do want the game to be, we, we don't want it to be an easy game, let's say that. Um, we do want the kind of challenge that will appeal to kind of roguelike or action roguelike players, you know, what, whatever you want to call that sort of genre that's now developing. But there does need to be a difficulty curve and not a, a wall. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Scale with your fingernails, uh, which is maybe what some people would have described as. I'm guessing you were inspired by A Link to the Past. <laughs> yeah. We'll just, talk to it. Just a little bit, right? Weirdly enough, like the very first version of the game, our, and this is the story we always kind of tell, like the, the first kind of internal pitch was Pinball meets Zelda. So basically, <laughs> a, a physics-y action RPG where if you can imagine, I mean, maybe Bunker Cars would have been a better description where you would, it was going to be an iOS game, possibly kind of motion-controlled or tilt-controlled and you would just kind of skid around and bump into enemies to attack them. And it was going to be much more arcadey. Like, the idea for dropping from room to room, I think, came from that. You know, we were at a restaurant just, like, chatting about this idea, and I think the... And it starts getting foggy at this point because there have been so many kind of revisions and everything, but I, I want to say the first version we talked about, you would, you know, zip around the room, kill all the enemies, and then a bunch of gold would fall on you as a reward based on how quickly you cleared the room, and then the floor would cave in and you'd drop to the next room. Oh, okay. So that's kind of where it started, but then we, we did a couple of rough kind of tech demo-y prototypes to show some of the physics and movement and that sort of thing, but then it, it kind of quickly developed. I mean, I think probably... For all of us, you know, as we started playing it, kind of wanting it to be a little more Zelda-ish, where you actually had a manual button press to attack and so on. And, and you know, then we talked about having larger kind of continuous dungeon levels and that sort of thing instead of just room after room. And so Endless Drop is maybe the, the spiritual successor to that very first kind of rough concept of the game, which has changed dramatically. But you still see these small kind of kernels of inspiration. Well, there's still a lot of bouncing at the beginning, right? Because the shield bashing mechanics? Yeah, whenever you bump into an enemy, like we actually do kind of physics resolution based on a custom physics system that, that Kobe's been building. So there are a bunch of parameters in the XML, which Varel could probably explain a little better because he's one who wrangles that more often. But yeah, I mean, the, we do want that kind of bouncy feel. Uh, so whenever you attack something or get hit, that you, you kind of rebound off of you know, those objects based on their mass and friction and so on. Because oh, a physics system seems like a, a strange thing to see in an overhead 2D game, <laughs> especially in the, the way that the characters move and momentum and movement speeds, which are usually just set in place and not so much about, we got to find out how long it's going to take me to run from one end of the room to the other, or how I'm not going to die or slide into a pit <laughs> or something. Well, the sliding into pits, I think, was something we'll admit was a little rough around the edges. In the PAX build, we, we need to do some fixes on the pits. But going back to what you said, like it's, it's kind of a, a different thing uh, in the genre. I mean, that's we're hoping that that uniqueness will be like 
a, a sort of selling point. I mean, I think when you tell people like physics-based action RPG, like that doesn't really, it's kind of like, what does that mean? But I think when you play it, you can sense that there there's something different there that isn't in other games. Yeah, I would agree. There's something kind of fascinating about the way that it plays. Anyway, so there's one character class in the PAX build, which is the Rogue. And the Rogue has money-based special abilities, I'm guessing. Yeah, and we, we are still working on some of that stuff. The, the, you know, kind of how the special abilities work. But that's, that is the idea, is that, you know, they're kind of, kind of greedy, want some loot. And there's supposed to be eight classes? Yeah, there are, um, there are the three base classes that we announced early on, the Rogue, the Sorcerer, and the Gladiator. And then there were three classes from a pool of six that the Kickstarter backers voted on. And then we have a special Kickstarter class. And then we have another that was added because we had a backer at the $2,000 level, which is kind of the rough amount that we had estimated would allow us to just add another class to the game. And you're going to have all of this done by October? The goal. Wow, you guys are quite ambitious. <laughs> you could say that. That's a word for it. Yeah. Because I'm thinking about ambition in terms of even the narrative, which you guys say isn't going to be in your face and it's going to be told over time and in, you know, contextual based, you know, talking to NPCs or possibly walls, (laughs) as you kind of implied. So tell us about this nonlinear narrative and how it's going to be in the game, but not so much restricting the player's ability to go through the game. Sure. I would think of it as kind of like, so imagine that there was a giant conversation going on in a hall somewhere here and you're a fly on the wall and you're just kind of like buzzing through the room and you're catching little snatches of the conversation here and there that's probably going to be closer to the experience that you get out of the game there's not like it's not even like there's like one large story that's been written and you're getting sentences of it here and there you're getting observations or you know little sayings that are kind of around what's happening so i mean there's not really a core solid I've got all the pieces of the puzzle is you've got multiple points of reference so that you can kind of form your own conclusions about what's going on to a degree. Yeah, you'll, you'll never really sit down and get a, or at least very infrequently will you sit down and get a monologue from, you know, a, an NPC or a, a, I don't know, an you know, enemy or whatever. There, there won't be people talking at you. You'll be like happening to run into people or happening to kind of hear things. Uh, in the castle or overhear things might be a better way to say it. Uh, and so there's multiple narrative paths, so can you get there's different endings to the main game? There would be different endings. The narrative, like the what you get of the narrative doesn't necessarily impact the ending. I mean, what you what decisions you make in your you know gameplay session will impact the ending, but we want to have different narrative bits that you can only get if you are say, playing as one of the different classes. So that's kind of the stuff that we're working for. I mean, obviously there will be things where if you make this decision or you encounter this particular circumstance and you get some sort of narrative element from that, that could impact the endpoint of the game. But it's not like the narrative completely changes based on what playthrough kind of decisions that you have made every time. Because it's already so random to begin with that even if we did change it, you're probably never going to know it's obvious that you want to focus more on the game mechanics than you want to focus on the plot and the setting, right? I think we can get a lot of mileage from 
implied information about the setting that will allow us to then focus more on the actual core gameplay. Yeah, and it's a video game. You're you're a visual and an audio medium, so you can kind of do both. <laughs> right. Without having to go in these long cutscene-esque dialogue boxes. <laughs> we, yeah, we've actually had a few people ask about cutscenes and that sort of thing. And, I mean, while we may have a couple minor things that are sort of scripted event things that happen in-engine, I, at this point, don't think we're going to have any actual full-on like cutscenes, especially nothing like rendered out of game kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, I mean, I would love to do kind of like mini cartoons of all the characters, but you're not like if we do it, it's going to be on YouTube as a you know, so basically like something that you can watch outside of the game for like promotional purposes or just for fun. I, I mean, God knows when I will have time to do that, <laughs> but it, um, but it is kind of like my my dream for like you know at some point seeing these characters kind of animated running around uh, in more of a cartoon form, some kind of little animated short. I have a question about the physics. Is there a magic physics system, or is it going to be more of the straightforward type of magic spells that you would expect? I guess it depends on what you mean by a magic physics system. I mean, we will we have like a set of uh, an elements like matrix that determines vulnerabilities, resistances, that sort of thing. We have weapon damage types, so like piercing, slashing, crushing, that sort of thing. And each of the weapons has, you know, the ability to set different, like, attack force properties, knockback, area of effect, that sort of thing. But there's not anything that's like a separate physics system that is tied to the elements or the magic stuff specifically. Oh, okay. And the items are going to be in the same vein as the magic, or are they going to be totally separate? Because I noticed that you have you could have five secondary items, and I'm guessing there's a lot of them. <laughs> If That's the goal. Okay. Yeah, I, and we'll have, and we want to be where your inventory is part of your gameplay strategy. So I mean, contrasting to something like Link to the Past, where you have exactly much space for everything that you're ever going to get, because we'll have a variety of different things. We're only going to give you five or six slots in your inventory, and then you have to decide: well, is it more important that I have an ice weapon coming up, or is it more important that I carry this? item that gives me some sort of passive buff or you know this other item that i think i'll be able to use in a room at some point in time so we want that to be part of your decision making when you're playing the game is i can only carry so much and i need to sort of intelligently pick what i carry around with me uh, are there any insanely useless items as per kind of the roguelike distinction <laughs> i don't think that we've got any that i would classify as useless. We've, we've talked about a few that are maybe not of immediate apparent usefulness, and then you can maybe, you know, if you stick with it, maybe it will actually be useful at some point in time. But red herrings are also a possibility, you know, where, well, I, I think about it like in Skyrim, you know, the joke was everyone was going around picking up brooms and pots and stuff like that. They, you know, they don't even sell for anything. They have no purpose for that. Like, maybe I'll use this broom at some point in time. <laughs> people seem to mention that you should put in a dodge button of some kind are you actually thinking about that or are you going to keep to your stick to your guns on that one we probably won't do any kind of a dodge i mean the a few things that we're kind of taking into consideration well i mean the, the game is eventually going to be on mobile and so you you only have like oh. so many 
buttons and things you want to put on the screen when you're dealing with touch interfaces. And so, I mean, it, it could be possible to do like, you know, a dodge button, say on the controller or keyboard for PC and then just take it out on iOS. But we, we really want that to be the same experience. And then also, I mean, I think for the kind of game we're making, really, if you want to dodge, like the characters are going to be fast enough, you should probably out of the way, or at least like with the rope, you could you can pretty quickly respond and move. But we, I mean, we may work on some other things where you can, you know, defend yourself, or the the like kind of shield. You have parts and shields in your health UI, and the shields are kind of meant to be an expendable buffer. Like you'll get a lot of them oh, okay. to replenish your shields, but health uh, replenishment for your hearts will be much less frequent. And so that's we do have some things in place that are you know kind of like defensive measures, and there may also be some items that have defensive properties as well. So I, I would probably push any kind of uh, you know that sort of defensive strategy into the item system first. Yeah, it's it's interesting because in the end it still kind of comes down to the physicality of what you're dealing with. I mean, if you're if it's PC only, then you have a lot of buttons you can work with. But since we want to have gamepad support and then port it to mobile as well, then you know, you only have so many things you can tap or press. Yeah, and I, I'm really a fan of like using, like not having a bunch of, you know, the crazy like shift modifiers, like, you know, hold the right trigger and press the B button while holding up, you know, to, to do a dodge or something like that. And, you know, I, like I, I want it to be as, as streamlined as we can while still getting the kind of game we want to make, I think would maybe be a, a good way of putting it. And I'm just not sure if we have kind of a manual dodge button fits into that equation. Yeah, but. it's the most functions with the least amount of buttons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I was thinking a dodge probably wouldn't be a great idea anyway. <laughs> Especially because well, you're designing it. You're designing it around that you don't have a dodge button and that you're using your momentum in specific ways, right? And To right. put in this set dodging mechanic that gives you invincibility frames kind of ruins the balance a little bit. So for instance, we have... We actually have... And three properties that define how you move. Four if you count just the mass of the character. But we have drag, and then we have movement drag, which is kind of the how quickly you can turn on a dime and how much of your uh, momentum is transferred when you do that. Uh, and then we have like your elasticity, which is when you're hit or when you collide with something, how much do you bounce off of it? So for instance, you can have you know relatively high mass and drag and then a relatively low move drag and you could turn on a dime but you've still got a lot of momentum that carries through huh wow <laughs> you thought about this a lot yeah it's a uh, it's kind of a combination of well all three of us on the core team being i think hyper technical even for you know the two of us who are sort of theoretically artists um <laughs> like i i make giant crazy spreadsheets and burrell does tons of, of data work so yeah like both of the artists on the team are also very like math brain we, so we use a balance of our left and right lobes <laughs> oh wow so you get both sides you get left and right brain <laughs> excellent some of us only get one Unfortunately. Uh, well, and then also, uh, you know, Kobe, I think, in designing these systems, you know, he tries to think about every possible, like, eventuality or bug that could occur and those sorts of things. So, uh, basically, yeah, we, we end up with lots of variables for everything. And, yeah, some of it is to, like, fix problems that would occur if we had fewer variables. But 
Well, I mean, the, the boot drag property, as an example specifically to that, was one where we were we were kind of playing around with the road movement-wise, and we were like, it's still, we like the speed and the acceleration and all that sort of stuff, but he needs to actually handle tighter. And it wasn't necessarily like, you know, you stop movement and then he kind of slides to a haul a little bit. That was okay. But it was more of a, it was actually hard to change directions when we felt that that would be, you know, more appropriate for that particular class, that they would be able to kind of, you know, plant a foot and move very quickly in the opposite direction. So that's actually where that problem, I think, specifically came from. So with all this momentum-based game, are you considering putting in, like, a, a time trial mode? So people have asked about that. Because that seems like an interesting way to kind of extend the momentum and just kind of bounce off the walls and not get hit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those things like, I mean, for instance, the other thing that we've been heavily influenced by is Binding of Isaac, and there are lots of people that do kind of time trial stuff on that as well. Um, I mean, part of it is with all the randomization options, then it becomes a little bit more difficult to have a standard kind of metric, you know, to say, like... Well, I did it in five minutes. Well, someone else could say, well, that's stupid because you got lucky this time, you know, and something like that. But I, I don't think there's anything to preclude people from doing it. Yeah, you know? I think if we did some kind of a time trial mode, it would probably be lumped in with endless drop. Like, how fast can you get to floor 50, you know? Because that's, I mean, even though you are getting random rooms, you're not going to get, like, a giant random layout for a dungeon, which would compound the you know, that kind of problem with randomization and time standardization. Like, you're going to get rooms that are mostly equivalent time-wise, or at least kind of average out over 50 rooms, I would think, uh, in endless drops. Well, we may be a little more likely in the same vein is that we have either achievements or maybe even unlocks or something like that tied to, say, like, number of deaths. You know, if you were able to get to the end in less than you know, a dozen or something like that. Okay, so are the rooms static? Because it would seem like that would make the puzzling part a little difficult, <laughs> especially for a timed run. You right. mean the the rooms and, like, the dungeon layouts, or...? Are the rooms themselves static, and the basically you just kind of swap them around, or is there uh, some kind of yes, magical and... switch no. that makes the algorithm that forms certain puzzles that are solvable? <laughs> Most of the puzzle things are going to need to be static, just because of the nature of how they have to work. Now, they may be where they can be mirrored, you know, so that you can solve the same sort of puddle, puzzle from the opposite direction of entering a room. But for the most part, those will be statically designed. But there, there are some things that we can do for a bit of randomization, like let's say, and some of these things we're still kind of working on. Like we can design rooms right now, but the, the randomization is still kind of moving toward uh, on the programming end. But you know, for something that's say like a block puzzle, you could potentially put the block in like three different places and randomly, like it would randomly spawn in one of those. And so you, oh, you kind okay. of have a different path to push it through to get it onto the switch or whatever. So we're going to try to do things like that to make, well, make sure everything's solvable. I mean, it would be insane to write an algorithm and that would maybe <laughs> be a really interesting game, but to like write an algorithm that just like auto-designed every puzzle. Um, but that's outside of the scope of, you know, what we'd be able to do. <laughs> yeah, possibly the human mind, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. But as it sits, we have randomization of the layouts, uh, randomization of the actual content inside the rooms themselves. To All right, that makes sense. I've heard a lot about, you know, because Endless Drop was a little difficult. So how exactly are you planning to make it so that this whole 
concept is intuitive and makes sense to a player who just kind of wanders in and goes, oh, I don't have any items or shield or anything. How am I supposed to survive? Is it just more about just kind of grinding away? Because I know you guys say a lot, no grinding. We don't want you to grind. So how do, exactly is a player supposed to learn? Is it learning through death or is it learning through getting better at the game? <laughs> I, I think those are tied together. And I think there's a difference between grind and you know, like learning experience. Like when I think of grind, it's you know how something works or you know how to get from point A to point B. It just is a pain in the butt to do that. You know, you, you have, have to do like because you have to do something over and over again or yeah, I mean whatever the case may be. You know, so we have no problems with like starting the game and not having I mean we don't currently have really any sort of tutorial plan for the first time that you play. I mean there may be a couple little like on screen kind of like tooltip hits or something like that or something. But mostly it's going to be, I've never played this before, I wander in and something eats me, and then I learn how to not let that thing eat me next time, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, the roguelikes become popular, but I'm not necessarily the, you know, more well-noted and defined form, which is kind of like, you start with nothing and then you just die over and over again until you learn everything. <laughs> And we had even talked about having, you know, you start and you don't have anything, you have your shield, so you can, like, deflect a couple things until you can find a weapon. I don't know how practical that's going to be for what we do with the level layouts and stuff like that, but that's still kind of floating around in our mind. We're, I mean, we're coming up on our alpha release before too awful long, and, and we're doing that with our Kickstarter backers at a certain tier and above, and so we're anxious to get kind of some feedback from the gameplay from them to kind of drive some of those decisions in our mind that are not like finalized you know we have kind of an idea for it and then we'll see what people think about it are you still thinking of putting the super undead versions of previous characters in the dungeons to kill you oh yes <laughs> yeah yeah the the undelver is a a definite uh fixture of the game um, now whether every time you die one will appear um that may be uh, kind of in question um so we're, uh, there's probably like some difficulty balancing there, but also some kind of like thematic stuff. So there may be, it, it may be that sometimes when you die, like specific circumstances cause it to, to cause the undelver to spawn. We don't completely have it figured out, and also we probably wouldn't tell you if we did, because it might be one of the secret game mechanics. <laughs> it sounds sort of like an evil link thing, but I was, I'm interested well, yeah, to see it like, in action. Yeah, I think someone probably at Hacks actually said something along those lines. Or perhaps uh, Mega Man clones. <laughs> yeah. Most roguelikes have permadeath. Yours does not. Is this almost permadeath. Well, By it, kind of, sort of. Um, is this kind uh, of yeah. because of modern design sensibilities that you put in a what you call semi-permadeath, which is kind of just the perk system and no stat increases, or is it more of a desire to just kind of have people complete the game? <laughs> I think it's because we have an end goal that we want people to get towards and we have a progression through these different levels. You know, I, it's not necessarily a hallmark of the roguelike genre that you're trying to get from point A to point B. You're just trying to get as far as you can get. Yeah. Uh, whereas ours does have an end point to it. It's really not any extra work for us to add a hardcore mode, which is actual permadeath. And we've had people ask for that. So, I mean, I, I have no disbelief at all that within a week of the game coming out, someone will be like, oh yeah, I completed it 100% first try, hardcore mode, but, you know, no big deal. So. Yeah, because um, most people associate permadeath with roguelike, and 
you know, <laughs> I figured it'd be pretty easy to put in there anyway. So in terms of perks, what exactly are you thinking of? Like a World of Warcraft talent system, or is it something a little more nuanced than that? I guess it depends on which World of Warcraft you mean. Um, <laughs> oh, not well, the recent one. Not the recent one. Well, I mean, we've kind of talked about that a lot. And we have, I mean, as far as the presentation of it to the player, you know, that's still something we're working on as far as like, because we've talked about can you do it organically through a certain kind of room you encounter in the game? Is it just an actual menu? That's something that's still kind of up in the air for debate. But the perks themselves are going to be more of a utility kind of. So, I mean, I reference WoW specifically because I know that the last patch kind of thing that it did where they switched the talents over was a pretty big overhaul from how they used to be. Yeah. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a WoW player myself. That's why I make the reference. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It, I, just as a point of comparison, and, and to kind of tell you where we're trying to take it, is that previously in WoW you had um, you know, a variety of, of specific skill points and quite a lot of them, and you get one every level to put into something. And it's things like you get 1% increased crit, and now you get 2% increased, and so on and so forth. Um, since they've overhauled things, it's become much more where you get a choice of a couple options at specific points where they're kind of more of a utility function and not a game-defining increase. So we don't want to have any sort of perks that it's like, you now do twice as much damage because that's not, A, that mitigates the value of any weapons you would find. Yeah. And then B, it also just kind of exponentially increases the stats we have to deal with in the game. And it's um, kind of boring because it's basically like, oh, I kind of have to take this if I want to do right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's also part of our kind of no-grind approach. You know, we, we don't want you to, like, have to level up to be able to beat boss number six, you know? Like, it, it would, like, I want it to be possible to complete the game on, you know, with, like, well, not, not that you could preserve, like, a level one character, but basically, like, you know, not, uh, like, if you'd never touched your skill tree, it would still be Oh, that's cool. I like that. Now, how possible that is, we don't know. Yeah, but it, it might still be. <laughs> um, but but yeah, that's we don't want it to be a, a requirement, like the you know the skill tree being kind of like the you know you, you have to go through a certain or create a certain build to be able to win essentially. And we talked about like leveling and that sort of thing, and we don't know exactly how many max levels you're going to have, but we don't want it to be like you're you're leveling every you know, so often. So we don't want to be like, you know, you're level 999 or something like that. It'll be a much lower number than that. Okay, so the reward is not in getting bigger numbers. (laughs) Which seems to be kind of the way RPGs have gone recently. (laughs) It's higher numbers, especially JRPGs. I played Tales of Graces recently, and the boss battle was like, grind 10 levels and then you can win. And it just seemed totally antithetical to how video games work. And, you know, 10 million HP that you have to wade through and all of that. Okay, so you are a man after my own heart. (laughs) Thank you. In terms of multiplayer, have you even thought about it, or is it just too complicated to implement? Well, we did add some multiplayer modes through our stretch goals. I mean, a lot of people have asked, like, could you do a two-player campaign, like, you know, two-player co-op? And, I mean, it it would be fun. Like, it would be fun to do a a four-player campaign, but it's it's kind of outside of the scope of the game that we were wanting to make and also like would significantly change i mean we could really easily just like slap a second character in there and you know make you know we will actually have support for up to four players in the 
like the deathmatch and horde modes, uh, which are kind of separate <laughs> from the main game. Yeah. So, I mean, it's theoretically possible that we can just add a second player, but it would fundamentally break a lot of the puzzles in the main game. And then you have to deal with things like, well, how do you, if you're exiting a room and player one is exiting the room through the north door and player two is trying to exit through the east door, like, how do you resolve that? And you split the screen and then you're having to, like, basically have two, you know, have two different kind of points of reference in the dungeon. Like, it, it creates a bunch of problems that we, that we kind of feel like aren't problems this game should have to tackle. Now, I mean, if we did a Delvers 2, maybe we would think about a co-op campaign or, you know, something like that, but... And just if you think about like a block moving puzzle where you have to push a, a block onto a switch and hold it there to, you know, and then move and step on another switch yourself. Well, if you've got two players, you can both just step on the switches and not move the same block. So like we would actually have to totally redesign a bunch of puzzles just for two players. So it's also like a content generation sort of issue where like we, we can't actually design the whole thing twice. <laughs> Thank you for answering my questions about Delver's Drop. Now, since this is a theology blog, I would like to ask a couple questions about this, if it's all right, with in terms of religion and that sort of thing. Is that good? Sure. Yeah. Okay, so in terms of video games in Christianity, have either of them kind of influenced each other, or do you feel like your views on game development or in terms of whatever you do for a day job, right? <laughs> Are those influenced by your religious beliefs in terms of even just, say, the design of Delver's Drop? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, like, the, the thing we should kind of start with is that, you know, we, in our, even in our company, like, we have people with different kind of beliefs, and, and I'm fine talking about mine, and Ralph maybe uh, talking about his, but, uh, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily represent the, the company as a whole or yeah. everyone in the company. Um, so, uh, so I, I mean, we can say, like, you know, Pixelscopic isn't a quote-unquote like Christian company, uh, and Delver Drop isn't a Christian game. But yeah, I don't want to say that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I just you know being a one of the partners, like I just have to kind of put that out there. But I mean, you, you kind of asked two questions. Like one is sort of industry-wise, like has have video games and Christianity kind of cross-pollinated or influenced each other? And then also there's the question of like you know for us personally when we're choosing a job or making games or whatever we're doing like is there kind of a, a religious element right yeah um and i think to answer the first question like i mean there you know i think there's kind of this broad way in which christianity sort of influenced everything and there are games that have like i would say you know christian references without having kind of a, a like truly christian kind of elements at their core so, you know, I mean, you see, like, lots of crosses and kind of references to Catholicism and, you know, Gothic cathedrals and things like that. But, yeah. I, you know, I wouldn't really say that's exactly, like, Christianity influencing games. But That's like have, adopting the symbolism without putting anything of that meaning yeah. behind it. Yeah, there's nothing, like, actually spiritual in the game. Um, well, or, or things like where you have, you know, there's a lot of games that re reference things like, you know, the Inquisition and stuff like that, which, again, are not really anything that have to do with, you know, the tenets or beliefs of Christianity as more just some event that happened around it. Well, and then you have like potentially worse examples, like I mean, something like Dante's Inferno, which is adopting a like very Christian text and making a like pretty non-Christian, I would say, or even potentially offensive to a lot of Christians, uh, came out of that. But you know, I think. Well, uh, so something I will say, like about Delver Drop specifically, like we are creating kind of a mythology and a universe and, you know, something that, like a, a totally different mythology, like a, you know, 
kind of Tolkien's mythology for the Lord of the Rings, or you know that, like that sort of idea, or like World of Warcraft even has its own kind of mythology. And so, and anytime you're doing that, you know, I think they're we're trying to make something that's pretty unique, but there's always going to be like a, I think a bit of influence from like what your belief structure is, or e even just like your kind of knowledge of different belief structures, right? So. I mean, there's there's like a little bit of like my very very minimal knowledge of Shintoism in in Delver's Drop in a, in a very vague way, but that's you know that's kind of like again like you were saying, sort of adopting like the symbolism without really kind of putting the the true kind of core of the of the belief system in in game. I actually think in a lot of ways like maybe viewpoints impact our kind of not necessarily the game design or even the content of the game a whole lot but the kind of the way that our company deals business and, and presents itself to a degree too just i mean you can argue some of that's more of just a general altruistic nature of anybody but i think you know there are things like you know specifically around the kickstarter is probably the most recent big example of trying to make sure that you know we're we're doing right by everybody that we're you know we've got all of our ducks in a row so that we're not promising you know, thanks to them as rewards or whatever that we can't give them and that sort of thing. And I guess maybe instead of kind of beating around the bush a little bit, like, I'll just say, like, I'm actually a Christian. You know, I think that does influence a lot of the decisions I make, you know, in terms of, like, what I'm, you know, what I'm doing. And, you know, I'm, I don't want to speak for anyone else in the company, but I, like, what Barilla, I think, was saying is that we, we're all very ethical and and I think try to challenge each other to be more ethical in in kind of like a business sense so it's you know we're we don't have really discussions about the spiritual ramifications of like how we kind of offer rewards on Kickstarter or something like that but we try to be as like ethical as possible which is based on each of our individual kind of belief systems and there's you know I would say there is actually a lot of overlap with whatever spiritual religious beliefs might be and then also a lot of just like Hey, let's all be nice human beings, <laughs> which is probably, you know, generally I felt by most uh, religions. In terms of yourselves, how did you both get into video games in the first place? Was it just kind of part of your childhood as you grew up, or did somebody introduce them to you? And also, what did your church think? <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a, a TI, whatever, a Texas Instruments, like, you know, learning computer thing when I was little, and I... Dad had founded a garage sale or something, maybe? I don't remember. But it had a whole bunch of really cool stuff on it, like Hunt the Wumpus, you know? Uh, so that's probably where I got into you know, games. And then we had the NES and the Super NES after that, and uh, so on. So I mean, I've, I've been playing for a long, long time now. It was kind of funny because my, I mean, my family is a church-going family, but where I would get most of my games would be the Gold Exchange pond store that was down the street where the games section for rental or purchase was adjacent to the wall where all the porn was, you know, <laughs> the juxtaposition of worlds there, I suppose. Well, I think I wanted to make games basically from the time I got an NES onward. Like, I actually, uh, my cousins and I would, like, draw, you know, like, our video game ideas, and we had even had, like, a little company that we were going to make someday, which... You know, it's kind of like lost to the memories of childhood, I guess. But I ended up doing it in a roundabout way, like because I actually went to college for graphic design and, and painting, and thought I was going to just do graphic design and not games. You know, I I guess I kind of I, I was never completely familiar with how 
like how you got into the games industry. Like I knew, you know, you had to learn to program C++, but I guess I kind of somehow thought everyone needed to know programming to make games, which isn't exactly true, but like, you know, definitely helps them. But I didn't really know that you could have a job as a designer or like kind of what it meant to do uh, like 2D art, like pixel art in games. Or I probably would have pursued that a bit earlier, but I mean, basically, I you know I got a lot of training in the visual arts and was looking for design jobs and got a part-time job at another company here in uh, Springfield, Missouri, doing art and, and animation uh, for the Game Boy Advance. Actually, the first game I worked on was Dora the Explorer, so I was just kind of like a contractor for a few months, uh, doing part-time work, and ended up getting hired full-time. And so I was there like about almost four years, I think. And I started my business partner Kobe, who's our programmer, isn't here on the call today. But so that's that's kind of how I got into it. And um, I guess like I don't think I've ever had anyone who didn't you know didn't like that I was getting into games really. Like I mean, actually, everyone in the church I like the, the church I go to is full of uh, actually a bunch of guys my age who all play video games uh, <laughs> to, to or did at one point. You know, so everyone's. It just it kind of seems like you you tell most people like oh yeah I make games and most people at this point are like oh that's really cool like you don't get a lot of like oh so you sit around and play games all day I mean I think there are still people that think that but I haven't heard that sort of that that assumption in quite a while I mean maybe if I went to my, back to my very very small hometown <laughs> like I don't know like I, I don't know what kind of opinions would be there but yeah, I mean my family at least is you know supportive. Uh, half of them don't really understand what I do, but I, I think that's the case with all of us, probably. Yeah. Yeah, like with mine, I still I work with computers. That's my job. <laughs> At least it's your mom would tell it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Half my family doesn't know what a blog is, so that makes it kind of <laughs> difficult to explain yeah. what I do. <laughs> yeah. Because they think, you know, how do I communicate with people through the wires? Mm-hmm. Through the tubes. Yeah. So <laughs> I know the feeling. So that's how you both became semi-artists and semi-programmers at the same time? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess maybe to explain mine just a little bit more, I, I went to college for basically web design and multimedia, as the kids called it at that point in time. You know? <laughs> and so I graduated, and, and since then I had been doing web design, web development, that sort of thing at various places. And then I've been doing game development here for just over two years now. Oh, all right. I think that is the limit of my questions, unless you have a question for me, in which case, feel free to ask. How long have you had your blog now? As of tomorrow, it will be exactly one year. Gotcha. Cool. Well, yeah. early mazel tov. Yeah. <laughs> Happy anniversary. Yes. <laughs> I've written one blog every day since wow. I started. And yes. That's, that's a commitment. Yeah, it is a commitment. And I'm probably not going to change it. <laughs> Considering how much I write, oh god. Anyway, <laughs> this is not about uh, me. Oh no, sorry. Um, but I guess I can kind of leave you with one other thing because I do feel like I, you know, on the kind of question of like spirituality and religion as it relates to our company and the game. You know, we, I mean, when you when you are like running a business and employ or are you know in partnerships with with people who either view it strictly as a business or you know, have, have other kind of spiritual beliefs and, and so forth. You know, it's like, I, I kind of feel like I, I'm obligated to sort of like run circles around the question a little bit because, you know, I can't really say, like, state my beliefs as if they're company policy. 
and that's you know I think there's an element of that that's just good business. But I can at least say like personally, in making Delver's Drop and you know any of the games I would want to make, like I mean Delver's Drop is actually going to be a somewhat bleak world. Like there's a lot of tragedy in it. The storyline is going to be fairly dark, but you know I think that at the at the end like I. And as much as we will actually joke about like characters dying horribly and you know things like that, there's I think there's always a purpose for humor, and of course like there, but there is kind of a limit to like where humor and kind of that the dark elements and things like that could go too far. Like I actually there was something I wrote up as sort of a you know spitballing dialogue thing like way way early on, and actually everyone like the other guys in the company said like hey that goes a little too far, and I mean. I, uh, and, you know, looking back, I would agree. Like, I didn't really intend it to be final dialogue, but it was, like, a little kind of too too dark to, I, I mean, some people might find it offensive. What I was saying earlier, you know, I think that in making entertainment, like, we aren't going to take a, a kind of, like, hard line and say, like, you know, we're never going to do this or that. But I think, especially since, like, I don't have any kids, but Kobe and Burrell actually both have uh, kids of their own. And, you know, and I have little cousins who play games. You know, hopefully would enjoy playing this and so like I wouldn't say that we're always going to be like a family-friendly company or kind of make a policy of that but there is sort of an element of like we want to be we don't want to be a super offensive to anyone we want to be we want to make games that I think mostly could be played in kind of like a PG or worst case like PG 13 sort of scenario you know, and there is like a big difference between like kind of that morality and like what I would actually consider to be like spiritual or religious, but those are conversations that we've had in the company. And I at least personally want there to be like, when I seek out entertainment, there there are actually some things that I that I enjoy that are pretty dark, but there's, I think at, at the end, like there has to be some kind of redemptive element. And that's a really ambiguous thing to say. There are a lot of, you know, non non-Christian kind of movies and music and things like that that do have this sort of core of I mean, what you might actually just call goodness that I think does kind of have to be there at the end of the day for, you know, for me to to actually enjoy it. And so, and uh, you know, this isn't like a prepared statement, so there's probably a better way I could write this out and, and sort of address the, the sort of conceptual problem of like, you know, how do I reconcile like my sort of beliefs and, and kind of concept of, of like universal goodness and, and so forth with like the things that I, I tend to enjoy in our in our culture. But all that to say, you know, I do want there to be some some redemptive elements to the story and kind of the themes in Delver's Shop because it is a world kind of based in tragedy that, you know, that with an idea that, that humankind is there to redeem something of the tragedies that have occurred. So make of that what you will, I suppose. And, uh, Burrell, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, we, we actually, like, we, we get into discussions about this sometimes, and that, that's just, like, my kind of personal angle, and I, you know, uh, the story isn't finalized, so... Well, you can't have any light without darkness, so let us end with that. Or not. Okay. <laughs> Do you have anything else, Burrell? No. No, this is very entertaining and very thoughtful. Thank you both for, you know, answering my questions. Sure, no problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been the Theology Gaming Podcast. If you like what you heard, go on iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Tell your friends. <laughs> We'd love to do more interviews like this with uh, thoughtful people. 
And, uh, you know, see you later. Uh, say, say goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks for listening. See y'all next time.